0: Because I lost all my self-respect, and for me, it, it didn't seem to be a slow spiral. Um, my last drunk, it, it was kind of every emotion that I'd ever numbed up until that point hit me. And it was also my first God moment where I had one single thought when I woke up, and that was I was going to be dead by 23. It wasn't a question or a statement. It was almost like somebody was reading out of a history book, like, and he died at 23 because he didn't stop drinking.
1: Welcome to the Recovery Edgecast. Uh, my name is Alfredo. I'm an alcoholic, and today I'm sitting here with three other guest hosts that I'm very happy to have. What an honor! Um, I guess I'll allow you guys to introduce yourselves.
2: <laughs> oh, thanks, Alfredo. <laughs> um, hi, my name is Kristen. I'm an alcoholic. Um, I my sobriety date is August. 8th of 2017. Uh, My home group is Happy Trudgers at the Trinity Church in downtown Denver. Um, I guess a little bit about myself nowadays. I work at a law firm downtown. Um, I guess I don't really know what else you want to (laughs) know.
1: That's good enough. All right, cool. Thank you. You're welcome.
0: I'm Cody. I'm an alcoholic. My home group is The New Hope group at the Ren church in firestone my sobriety date is august 24th 2019 i like to snowboard
3: <laughs> <laughs> all right nice my name jen i'm an alcoholic and my sobriety date is september 29th 2014 and my home group is the came to believe group usually at york street monday wednesday friday at noon but lately uh, on zoom right.
1: Welcome aboard, everyone. And I'm Alfredo. I don't know. I have my home group. uh, Basically, I got sober at Trudgers, you know, and then I got the three groups in my little town that I go to. I kind of consider them my home groups because they're once a week. And I'm just like, okay, Um, you know, New Hope, uh, Thirst Quenchers on Tuesday nights and um, Rule 62, Sunday nights. So thanks for coming aboard, everyone. Today's topic is step one. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. How do you complete step one?
2: My name is Kristen. I'm an alcoholic. Um, Step one for me, it sounds so simple coming out of the book, you know, admitted that we were powerless and that our lives had become unmanageable. The first half of step one for me took quite a many years. Um... I mean, quite a many years. I I think I tried to manage every which way possible. Um, I was a very selfish individual because all I really cared about was not having to feel feelings. And so I used a lot of alcohol, and I used a lot of drugs to cover that up. And, um, you know, when you do certain drugs, you can drink a whole lot more. And... um the combination of those things, I don't know. I, I had to go to jail several times. I had to be on probation several times. Um, You know, I think, I don't, I don't remember if it's, like, 10 or 12 times I've been arrested. I think I had three DUIs by the time I was, like, 25 or 27. I don't even remember timelines, like, (laughs) really. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I had an interlock in my car for five years, um, and that was a fun experience. (laughs) Did all the DUI classes and the, you know, the sober homes and the halfway houses and everything else, and I just, um, I don't know, I came to a place where I was like, maybe it is possible that I'm an alcoholic. I I don't think so. Like, I knew I had other problems other than that, but none of them ever seemed to get as bad um, unless I, you know, was drinking first, and so coming to terms with that um, even was the process. It's not something that just happened um, overnight for me, and you know, lately, even with three years without a drink, I'm still noticing the unmanageability in my life when I try to run things on my own, when I'm not even, you know, consciously doing it. it just kind of that's what I refer to as like going back to default mode. And um, I guess in a way, that's kind of a gift just because, uh, like, I, I remember just from from day one this last time, remember, Jen? <laughs> lovely that day was but um
1: well ready? now you have to expand on that <laughs> briefly
2: uh okay well um last time i went out Trying to remember what happened first. I think I was going to try to see if I could do drugs without drinking to see if, like, it worked on the other way around, too. I was like, (laughs) I'm just going to try this and see if it works. If I don't drink while I smoke crack, (laughs) then, so, okay, so that's just how my mind works, right? (laughs) It seemed perfectly logical to me at the time. I don't know. Um, And I don't remember how long I was out. I don't know. Three weeks? Two weeks. Two weeks? Um, Yeah, I ran that two weeks pretty hard into the ground. I don't know how I even ended up in this crack house that was off of 27th and Champa. And um, I remember one of the drug dealers in that house told me that the devil lived in that house. And like, he was real serious about it too. (laughs) And um, for whatever reason, I just could not get out of there. I wanted to get out so bad and I just couldn't. I was like, literally like physically something took over my body and I could not control it no matter how bad I wanted to. I just, I wanted out and I couldn't get out, you know, and so I think I ended up just walking around Denver. I remember I had blisters on my feet from, I had flip-flops on and I probably walked like 15 miles in a day just out of nervousness, not knowing what to do, you know, that inner struggle of like, I know that I need help, but I don't know what to do, like the, the shame and everything all over again, just, um, you know, just that walk of shame one more time. It was just, um, a moment in time where the forces of the universe came together in such a way that, um, God made it very clear to me that I had two choices, and that was to accept spiritual help or go on to the bitter end, whatever alcoholic death that looked like. And I don't know why it was such a hard decision for me, um, but that lady sitting across the table, um, <clears throat> from me right now was there for that, along with my dad, and, um, I am forever grateful for for you being there for me that day, Jen, because you giving me just that little, like, extra whatever it was that I needed um, to walk in those doors. The people in my building thought I was a homeless person, so they had to try to sneak me in the back. <laughs> and the security came down. They were like, what are you doing? And I was like, I live here. <laughs> they were like, okay. But it was just a humiliating experience, and... Uh, so I think I detoxed for a couple days and then did the, once again, walk of shame back into trudgers, still feeling pretty shitty, I don't know, three or four days later, whatever it was, that I finally was able to get out of bed and eat something. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't ever want to go back there again. So if God can remove the obsession for someone like me to drink... When nobody else could, no other person or institution, um, judicial system, judge, whatever.
1: So, in as if you were to summarize, then how did you complete step one? Then, how do you complete step one if you have to give an instruction to someone?
2: See, that's the thing that I don't think that we can give to newcomers, and that's the thing that is what we, um, I think. Um, in our 12 step are trying to pass along because you know for me I think I went to my first AA meeting when I was 17 years old and um didn't go back there till I was like 33 or something like that and uh it's just not something that we can give away I don't know um for me God really had to be very clear that I'm sick of your shit and I will take your life if I have to and uh it was really that cut and dry, clear for me. And I didn't know if I could do it, but I'm sitting here today. so
3: I think what Kristen's story really demonstrates, at least in my experience, is that my drinking gave me my first step. I just didn't know it until I got into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And because um, that phrase that you were describing of sort of wanting desperately to leave and not being able to leave, I mean to me that feels like the end of my drinking where I drank when I didn't want to drink, right? I mean, I would crawl out of bed in the morning wanting to die, saying I wasn't going to drink that day, take a Xanax so I could make it without withdrawing in my 10-minute drive to work. Like, I have a friggin' short commute and had to take a Xanax to stave off the booze. But by 3 in the afternoon on that day when I said I wasn't going to drink... I was putting a fake appointment on my work calendar, and suddenly I was at Argonaut. And then suddenly I was on my front porch, and then suddenly all of the bourbon and the beer was gone. And, was and suddenly you're at the
2: crack house after that.
3: Right? You know, that was never mm-hmm. my jam, but I think mostly because bourbon worked so well until it didn't. But, but I didn't know. So when I was sitting on my front porch dying of alcoholism at the age of 39, I didn't know I was alcoholic. I thought an alcoholic was a man who lived under the bridge, who had had lots of DUIs, who had lost his job, who had lost his home, who had lost his wife, who had lost his family. With the paper
2: bag in the forty. With the
3: paper bag, and I had none of that. Never had a DUI. Never lost a job. Probably came close. Um, Didn't lose my marriage. Didn't lose my house. Didn't lose my car. Didn't lose my family. But at the end of my drinking, I wanted to kill myself so desperately because I kept waking up alive, right? Like Being an alcoholic is when you honestly <clears throat> want to, you can't stop drinking. And once you start, in my yeah. experience, I get so freaking thirsty, I will drink every drop in the house and will crawl over broken glass to get to the liquor store to buy more. And the mind obsession is what is the yep. worst. That's and, the torture. And I, I didn't know that that made you an alcoholic. So my drinking gave me my first step. I just didn't know it until I was in a room of Alcoholics Anonymous sitting across from the woman who took me through the steps, reading the big book and going, oh my God, that's me. Like, I'm not the only one who drank like that, not the only one who couldn't go a day without a drink, and not necessarily because I was physically addicted, but because my mind was screwed. And I was so nervous and angry. Like, I thought I had an anxiety disorder. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> 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 but, but really, just a fucking alcoholic. You probably do too. Oddly enough, though, haven't had any anxiety attacks in sobriety. Oh. You know, like, mm-hmm. oddly enough, yeah. all <laughs> of that is gone. It's funny how that works.
1: That, that happens to me. I mean, it happened to me. Like, oh. it's like I didn't come here to cure my panic attacks, but. Bonus. I don't get them anymore. <laughs> yeah. Interesting.
3: I fit in my own skin, finally. Yeah, well, sometimes.
0: <laughs>
2: okay. Maybe like 8% of the time. <laughs>
1: so, Cody, Cody, how do you complete step one? Yes, Talk to me Cody. about step one.
0: Well, for me, step one was a, a shotgun blast to the chest the first time I said it. and um, Even now, some days, depending on the day, it kind of takes me back because I'll get in a mindset where it's not at the forefront. You know, I'm not constantly thinking about it. And so saying I'm an alcoholic admits inside of me that I am one. You know, it reminds me that that's, that's what I, that I am an alcoholic. I have that. It's not ever going to go away. And if I don't stay on top of it, I'm going to go right back out. Um, I like that part that you were saying about the depression and the panic attack. So that's kind of gone. Uh, my mom has had severe depression her entire life. So I just assumed that I inherited that from her genes. And I figured coming in at AA, well, I'd stop drinking. but I'd probably still have to see a therapist. I'd probably have to take medications if I wanted to fix that side of everything. And less than a year later now, I haven't had a s- single panic attack since month four. My depressive episodes maybe last a couple of hours. And then even then, they're not as nearly as bad as they used to be. They're not debilitating anymore, and I can still get stuff done. And something that the program has taught me is to get stuff done to get through those attacks, so, to get past that depression, because that's, I think that's the part of the, it's a program of action. And by acting, even in the smallest way, you know, doing the dishes or going to a meeting, just doing something, anything is better than just sitting on the couch obsessing, um, which is a big part of what I used to do, was I would just sit around waiting for something to happen, worried I'm going to miss something, and drinking anyway. So it's not like I could go anywhere to do anything that I thought I was going to miss. And I missed everything anyway. Um, I came in because I lost all my self-respect and for me, it, it didn't seem to be a slow spiral. Um, my last drunk, it, it was kind of every emotion that I'd ever numbed up until that point hit me. And it was also my first God moment where I had one single thought when I woke up and that was, I was going to be dead by 23. It wasn't a question or a statement. It was almost like somebody was reading out of a history book, like, and he died at 23 because he didn't stop drinking. And my immediate next thought was I should ask my buddy if he wants to go grab a beer because I had called out sick in my blackout (laughs) and I wasn't going to work that day anyway. (laughs) So that doesn't tell you, you know, how insane the alcoholic mind is. It's, there, there's a good example. Makes perfect
3: sense. Too. I just <laughs> right. love. It. I mean, that's yeah. the beauty. Like one of the things I love so most about Alcoholics Anonymous is the laughter, and like only a bunch of other drunks would hear someone say, "Well, you know, I called out sick to work in a blackout" and think it's freaking hilarious. But <laughs> it is because it's so classic alcoholic. <laughs>
1: so one of the, the things that I found in Step One that really helped me, anyways, or that I find interesting, is that how they write our lives are unmanageable and not like your life is unmanageable. You know, it's like you're not alone, you know, mm-hmm. and that even though I didn't understand it, like I, that wasn't the first thing I thought when I read it the first time on the wall, you know. To me, it, it probably sounded like your life is unmanageable and these guys have their act together or something. <laughs> but looking at it now, it's like, no, this is a we thing. It's everybody who's here can
3: relate. And that beautiful f- word we at the first word of the first step right we um, I don't know about you guys but for my whole life I always felt apart and you know booze was the magic sauce the potion that made everything fit together and you know I was prettier and funnier and sociable and fit in and not awkward and not an outsider anymore and um, losing that was terrifying you know I mean that whole jumping off point. But the first time I walked down the stairs at Treasures, which was my first home group, it was like I could breathe for the first time because, I mean, I was, com- I was coming out of a treatment center. And uh, so I didn't really know what recovered alcoholics looked like. I just knew what women in their first 30 days looked like, which is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and so... Walking down the steps at Treasures and seeing other professionals was huge to me, and that word we, and it was like I could breathe because I could turn to any of them and did and say the things that were my deepest bewilderments, You know, like, like the big questions, like I didn't understand why I did the things I did, and they would laugh. Because they'd been there, done that, you know, had the rewards, and they're like, "Let us, let us, show you how we, you know, do this deal." So you were crazy in your first thirty days. <laughs> so. I was institutionalized, right? I was at You're a treatment center. Here, then. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I that, that, was that qualifies given, as crazy. I think I was given the gift of an intervention. Did the um, shrink
2: have to give you meds to bounce your mind back?
3: No. Oh, okay. But um I almost turned down the help that was offered to me. Yeah, that's crazy. You know, I had I had I'd been telling my neighbors or anyone who walked by my house that I was going to kill myself and they reached out and called my parents. You know, 39 years old and peop- strangers are calling, looking my parents up in the phone book and calling them. Mm-hmm. Um And so a week later, I had an intervention that I knew was coming uh, because a dear friend gave me the heads up. But um, all that is to say, I sat through uh, my family, you know, telling me how terrified they were that I was going to die, and I was so angry, and I felt so defensive of my drinking, and I had a plan, right? I had called my doctor. She had denied my request to come attend my intervention to tell them I wasn't alcoholic, she had suggested <laughs> – I am not kidding. I did that. I made amends. Um, but doctor sounds cool. She, my doctor is <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Look me up happy to pass on a referral. Um, she's fabulous and now thinks I'm hilarious because I don't lie to her anymore. But, um, you know, I mean, I sat through all of that, and my whole plan was that I was going to go to yoga, and I was going to meditate, and I was going to take some class at Kaiser – so there was no reason for me to go away to treatment for thirty days because I was so important. You know, I'm the pretty world. Pretty
2: sure I've taken that classic Kaiser wouldn't have worked. And I was just
3: saying, since I met you after, clearly it didn't work. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I mean, but so I sat through all of that, and I initially said no. Even after they read a letter from every one of the partners in the company I worked for encouraging me to go to treatment, I was still saying no. And my husband just said, "What do you have to lose?" And for whatever reason, that was the magic phrase that dinged through to me and the next thing I knew I was like okay and so for me that was God right like hearing that from Dave was God coming through and I was on my way to Estes Park and so yeah first 30 days you're freaking nuts yeah
2: what does unmanageability look for like for you guys today now that you
1: guys have some time (laughs) like unmanageability now Mm -hmm. or then
2: let's do both. Let's do now and then.
1: Well, I think the immediate answer would be like, um, obviously I can't control this. I hate to say it, but this COVID pandemic. <laughs> I, know, I, went there, I, I you know. And I'm just Look watching. I know. I'm sorry, Cody, but <laughs> it's the biggest in my face thing I see now where nobody can control it. And, it's unmanageable, but we're trying our hardest. <laughs> we're trying so hard. And I'm like, I'm, I almost feel that's
2: actually like a really good example.
1: I almost feel actually. like, like I, like I'm throwing <laughs> in the flag. Like, encouraged. you know what? I, I give up. <laughs> I, I give up. I'm going to go outside or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I just feel like that's one of the best examples in my face right now. And, um, though it, it's not causing anything too crazy for me. It did throw a monkey wrench in my routine. I can't, like, I, I, I do like seven meetings a week or me something too. like that. But I drank, like, every night. So mm-hmm. I needed it. And um, I would wake up at 5 a.m. and go run and get on the bus and go to work. I had, like, my routine. And then all of that was just taken away from me, and I was just found alone, like me. Mm-hmm. And then I really had to, you know, look deep inside at me now. And I found out how much of my spirituality was lacking, you mm-hmm. know. And so I can't live like that forever. But I had to sit down with this thing, this this darkness, and face it and go through it. Um, I don't know. Maybe that answers the question.
2: That's legit, Alfredo
3: so i was in uh so i went i think i went dark in april and for me like because sobriety has been so beautiful and you know and and not to say that tough spots haven't happened in my sobriety but but in general i have this you know core of serenity most of the time and so when we stopped going to the office, and when we stopped having meetings at York Street. You know, I went to Zoom and all of that. My husband's also newly sober for the first time, so he, he just had eight months last week. Um, so it was just us in the house, sober. and um, And I realized how much of my connection to God came from working with others. And so a couple months of no contact with any newcomers, um, expose some real holes in my program. And I was in a Zoom meeting with my home group and one of the guys who is just, for whatever reason, he has been on fire this whole COVID time, singing to my heart. And he, we had a meeting and he, um, we were talking about the bedevilments on page 52. And he started listing them off and he just kind of gruffly said, if any of those are true for me, I need to go back through the work. And it was like, pow, because all of them were true for me. And I was like, oh, shit. I have to go through the steps again, which I love doing. But um,
2: thank God for them, because I'm sure that's what saved me. Oh,
3: my God. Me too. Right now. I mean,
2: the steps. And it's been
3: an <laughs> and incredible working with experience. Another woman. Yeah, and I, so I'm working with someone different. Um, I love the woman who has been my sponsor and guide from the beginning, but like God was telling me, like you need a new experience, and I'm getting that, and I'm seeing like more layers, more being peeled off, and I want more, and I'm not willing to tolerate misery. So at
1: least for me, pride prevented me from admitting I was powerless over alcohol. I knew that once I identified as an alcoholic or said it out loud at least, that I couldn't take that back. I mean, alcohol was part of my identity and I was proud of it. What do you think, Cody?
0: I think a big part of it was pride. Um, I think another big part of it was my ego. Um, I, when it, I, If somebody asked me to describe myself, it would be a narcissistic asshole <laughs> before I came in. And I was proud of that. That was a very like, this is who I am, this is who I'm going to be, and if you don't like it, you can screw off. Um, And so a big part of it for me was just I didn't ever want to have a problem with alcohol, and so I never thought about it. I never thought about how often I was drinking or trying to control it. My biggest concern was how many calories were in beer, so I started drinking whiskey all the time. And that was, in terms of, like, trying to change my drinking, that was the biggest part was just I didn't want to look fat. (laughs) <laughs> from all the beer <laughs> that and whiskey hits a little bit harder sometimes especially if you haven't eaten all day um but it was it was the pride it was i didn't i didn't want to give up my time not that i was doing anything worthwhile with it anyway but i didn't want to go to a meeting once a week or twice a week or any days of the week because that was my time and i'm going to do what i want to do with it and that spread not just to alcoholics anonymous but to every aspect of my life if i didn't want to do something i had an excuse or i didn't have enough time and it didn't matter why I didn't have enough time. I just didn't have it for you if I didn't want to give it to you. And so that's, I think that's a big part of what drove my drinking and kept me out of it. Kept me out of AA was that I, I didn't just the ego. I didn't want to lose that. I didn't want to not be on top and be the best. And at least in my own mind, be better than everybody I'd ever met. And if you were better than me, you still weren't, it didn't matter. I was still better in some way. Um, So that was, that was, probably the hardest thing to overcome coming in.
1: Losing to win. I'll just read this from page 22 here. Then we had been told that so far as alcohol is concerned, self-confidence was no good whatever. In fact, it was a total liability. Our sponsors declared that we were the victims of a mental obsession so subtly powerful that no amount of human willpower could break it. So pride and willpower. That was a big one for me. Like I could do this myself, which I always told myself I could do this myself. I could drink less. And honestly, drinking less was worse for me than just like drinking every day (laughs) because I was suffering, you know, because I was thinking about it so much. And when I finally would go like, I don't know, three or four days or whatever, it felt more of a reward. And then the floodgates were just right back open. Like I was just on again, like because I thought I could stop at any time like well, I would I couldn't help but to start again that was my problem what do you guys think
3: I think that was wired into my DNA you know raised to be independent and strong and as a teenager I rejected the religion of my childhood because I thought god was for the weak and you know like that a real successful businesswoman like I wanted to be stood on her own two feet very ragged individualist very you know, Ayn Rand, all of that. Um, and so, and and nothing in my life that I had set out to do I ever didn't succeed at, right? So that was partly the torture of drinking because no matter how hard I tried, no matter what arrangements I made, I still ended up, you know, drunk in the pile of puke and having to check who I drunk-texted, drunk-called, or drunk-emailed, and, you know, what horrible things did I say to my husband that night that I don't remember. But, and I think, honestly, Alfredo, is that's why I didn't enter, I didn't say I was an alcoholic out loud until I was 39 years old. I had my first real drink at 13, so I drank for 26 years. And... You know, that was powered all by power and willpower. Thus, the, to the point where I would Google, you know, like, what the hell is wrong with me? And on the screen would come up Alcoholics Anonymous, and I would slap my laptop down (laughs) as hard as I could, right? Because that was the one thing that couldn't be the problem. It had to be my husband. It had to be my job. It had to be I just wasn't trying hard enough. It couldn't be the booze. What do you think,
1: Kristen?
2: Well, I was just thinking, I don't even know. I don't remember your question now. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Pride and
1: <laughs> Pride and willpower oh,
2: pride and willpower, yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm really good at lying to myself mm-hmm. and not looking at things. So I don't and that's where my selfishness and self centeredness takes root because yeah being an alcoholic was a lot of a lot of work and no matter what I tried no matter what I tried at any point from the time you know that the first time I picked up a drink when I was like 16 years old or whatever it seems like it seems like nothing that I touched worked ever ever and so When I ask you guys about your experience with unmanageability today, um, you know, I'm just curious because for me as an alcoholic, um, you know, I thought that my unmanageability at first when I first came into the rooms was due to my drinking, you know, Um, and so I thought that's what admitting being an alcoholic was, you know, just because I said it out loud. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's hard to do that initially, but for me, that wasn't a first-step experience. I had to, when they talk about in the book, um, you know, admit to your innermost self. I didn't, I guess, know what my innermost self was until I had that experience. You know, because I, was, I had been so good at avoiding um, and not looking at and lying to myself and finding distractions so that I didn't have to look at it.
3: I think that's what's hard about, you know, once you're sober for a little bit of time, how is it that you still have unmanageability? You know, I went through big phases of like, why am I not fixed? I haven't had a drink in X amount of time. I've done the steps. Why do I still sometimes forget to pay a bill? Why do I still sometimes just want to veg out on the couch and watch Netflix or whatever unmanageability looks like, right?
2: Yeah, or I want to, you know, eat too much or pick (laughs) up the credit card if that doesn't work. Or Or I just want everyone to
3: leave me alone. Yes, (laughs) leave me alone. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, For me, I had a self-realization throughout some of this stuff um, that when I feel like I've lost my mind, that is unmanageability. It doesn't mean I'm going crazy. It means I can't control what it wants to think or feel. Mm -hmm. When it wants to take you through sadness or depression, sometimes happiness, when you get to that point, I feel like I have reached some unmanageability. And I can compare it to my alcoholism because I couldn't stop thinking about drinking. Even in my first crazy 30 days, beyond that even, Mm -hmm. when I wasn't.
2: You're not crazy anymore, Alfredo?
1: Well, yeah, I am. Okay, cool. I'm a good crazy. But Mm -hmm. I couldn't not think about it not drinking. Like, I'm not drinking right now. I'm not drinking right now. What am I going to go do tonight? I'm going to go home and not drink. That was my activity. And at that point, I think my life was still unmanageable. At least my mind was, because I couldn't control it. And when I get to that point, these days, sometimes it's more of an emotional thing, like... This sadness, this heartbreak, or whatever, just wants to grab a hold of me, and I try to fight it. But the same principles will uh, overcome that too. Like I give up if I am supposed to be sad, I am sad. You know, like I don't have to like try and fight it. And I only learned that from surrendering. The tenth step
3: promises you know, like that that obsession with booze is relieved, like we cease fighting everything and everyone, even alcohol, right? And so for me, that that resistance, like when I feel like I'm really resisting, that to me is a signal that I'm trying to manage something, right? Like that something is not going the way that I think it should, or I'm not getting something I want. And I'm not, you know, sort of, God, get out of the way, I'd like to handle this, I'm in resistance, and, like, in contrast, when I do, when I practice the evening review, and one of the questions is, you know, were we, you know, fighting, basically, or were we in this, packing what we could into the stream of life, and, like, that's when I'm not, like, when I'm in the stream, I'm in the flow, I'm in that world of the spirit, I'm, I'm present, I'm present, right, I'm not freaking about the future, or obsessing about the past
2: I love being in the stream yeah
3: <laughs> and so I miss it when I'm out yeah and and it's like oh dang it <laughs> I mean I have to take this to God I have to tense step this I have to tell someone what I've been
2: up to and I've never been good at managing my emotions either like even still I don't know if it's just because I'm a girl or, <laughs> or what um but yeah I mean emotion um for me, is still kind of hard sometimes because, I mean, the whole purpose of numbing myself was so that I didn't have to feel anything. So I didn't. I didn't feel anything.
3: Well, and I think know? it's about not managing our emotions. You know what I mean? Like, the bedoubleman just says, you know, like, we can't control our emotional natures. For me, it's less like trying to control what I'm feeling but to get clear on what, what's really going on. Right. You know what I mean? And I, like, am I in fear? Am I in anger? Am I being dishonest? Um, And then being able to take that to God.
2: Yeah. To do the the work, though, you know, like that's what I have to be in enough pain to be willing to take the actions. And, you know, I was kind of hoping that'd be over the first time you go around this mountain, you know.
3: (laughs) Why am I not? But fixed. Why am I not (laughs)
2: fixed? Yes. Like,
3: yay, great. I'm not drinking myself to death anymore. But, you know, I'd like to be. I know fixed now
2: if I let myself think about it too much that can it's kind of depressing like why am I not fixed you know
3: because there's purpose
1: because this definition of fixed I think might be something you made up and you'll Ah. never be able to reach it like is somebody else telling you you need to get this to be fixed or are you telling you this
2: I don't know I'm still trying to align my will with God sometimes Mm -hmm. And I have to ask him for help with that because, you know, I mean, if it's convenient for me, great. But if not, you know, there's an issue. And I I, I just have to ask for help even with
1: that because, like. What if you just ask yourself, am I making progress?
2: Then I am satisfied, yes. That I'm satisfied, but it's spiritual progress, not perfection. But I still want to be perfect. You don't understand, Alfredo. I
3: know, and <laughs> even this as a recovering perfect, crackhead, <laughs> alcoholic junkie,
2: up. like I still want to be
3: perfect. And and create the unattainable perfect, right? Yeah. Like, and it's always a moving target. You know, I, I thought fixed was I paid my bills on time, and I showed up for work on time, and I didn't ditch out on my family on holidays. But you know. Now, like, the standards have risen. What the hell? (laughs) So do you have to hit rock bottom to get
0: to step one? I think the rock bottom part is interesting. Um, I think everybody has their own rock bottom. I think that's pretty evident if you talk to more than one person about their story because, you know, my rock bottom is not nearly as close as some of the guys or gals in the room's. And I'm, when I first came in, I was sitting there going, am I really an alcoholic? Because I'm didn't, i haven't, I'm not even close to that. Um, and so I, th- I think the rock bottom differs for everybody. And I like my sponsor, Alfredo. When I first talked to him, he said a really good thing of, we both got to the same place. You just got there quicker. And for me, that was really a deciding factor that I didn't need to compare myself because uh, in my mind, I was there.
1: Do you think it makes you weak? when you admit that you're powerless over alcohol? I would have
0: to say it takes a lot more strength to admit it than than you would automatically think because it's hard because nobody wants to say that they've hit rock bottom. Nobody wants to say that they don't know what to do. I think being powerless just means that you don't know where you're going, you don't know how to do it. And that's okay. Especially in this program, you know, going to God with that for me, you know, There's another good saying that I like, and I don't know how he does, I'm going to let him. And that's big for me because a lot of times there are a lot of situations where I think I have a purpose in that situation. I think that I have power in it and I can do something. And the reality is I don't and can't do anything. I don't have to and I can't do anything. And God shows me that and he tells me that. It reminds me that I'm not the center of the universe and my life isn't that big. My problems... Aren't unmanageable for him as much as they are for me. And so, giving a lot of that over and, and being powerless to him makes my life a lot more manageable in my mind. It makes me a lot less irritable, discontent, depressed, and it makes the <coughs> days flow a lot smoother.
2: Thoughts? Kristen? Could you define rock bottom, please? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's different
1: for everyone. I agree. Yeah.
2: I agree, um, you know, it's interesting that you would bring this up, because earlier today I was thinking about, you know, um, like, self-confidence, okay, so, like, uh, I'm not confident in myself, but I want to be able to be solid in my confidence in the one who has all knowledge and power, you know, um and that's i think what i'm working towards you know and it's it that's why we can't live off of you know yesterday's experience mm-hmm. i guess and that's another thing that i'm learning that i've heard jen say for years now and it's just really you know starting to sink in really what that means you know yesterday's experience isn't going to keep me sober tomorrow you know it's a literally a day at a time thing you know And so it is kind of like I I die every night and wake up and have to um, handle things. I wish I would have gone through the steps when we had discussed it before, because then maybe I wouldn't feel like I am today. But who knows? It's like you're having the
3: experience you're having now, though. You know, I really believe in lack of power was our dilemma. Yeah. And I didn't know that it was my dilemma, but um, but but it. But they use the word past tense, right? Like, lack of power was our dilemma. And, right. and like, now I have that power in my life um, when I choose to get out of its way and to not try to arrange the set. Like, that... Um, and, and beer and bourbon was my power for a really long time, and it fueled me and took me to a lot of places. And you know, certainly if you were on the outside looking in, you wouldn't think I was at rock bottom again, right? Because I think we all um, sometimes in the world assign physical characteristics or economic characteristics to what a rock bottom is or criminal characteristics to what a rock bottom is. Not saying I didn't drive drunk. I did. I just didn't get caught. But, you know, I think that for me it was a spiritual rock bottom and i didn't know it you know it was it was that like gaping empty black hole on the inside that i couldn't fill ever and as a child of the 80s like in the 80s every tv show like quicksand was the big problem like on the a team or whatever like quicksand and like inside i felt like i was always in quicksand you know like no way to crawl out and to me that's rock bottom so for me it was having to reach that place where A tiny grain of me wanted to live just enough to do the hardest thing for me personally, which was to ask for help and accept it. And I have a friend who, when he tells his story, he talks about how asking another man in Alcoholics Anonymous for help was the hardest thing he ever had to do. And I think that's still true for me today. It's a four-letter dirty word. It is. You know, I associate all kinds of... And it's funny, right, because... That I'm working with others, I'm like, oh my God, you can call me anytime. Seriously, I'll pick up unless I'm in an AA meeting or a work meeting. And I'm here to help, I'm here to help, I'm here to help. And like that is abundantly offered to me, yet I find it a terrifying prospect still. Mm-hmm. You know? Um so
2: I guess it depends who you ask. Um, if being powerless you know, admitting that if it's weakness or not. I don't I think that um, God's awesomeness is made perfect in my weakness and yours. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just been my, my experience.
3: Yeah. And, and that experience of powerlessness, I think, on the other side, is our greatest strength, right? Because only another alcoholic can sit down with somebody else and truly get what it's like. Like that alcoholic suffering... And what an extraordinary gift we've been given to be able to say to that person, I've suffered like you. If you you want, we can show you how to stop suffering. Like that can be eased. And it's only through sharing our experiences on those dark nights of the soul or dark days or whatever, like that win the trust of that other person. You know, like, my life before was all driven by, like, can I make a lot of money? Can I buy a house? Can I marry and, like, get professional accolades, blah, 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 What
2: you look like on the outside. Yeah, yeah.
3: When inside I'm dying, and yet now I really don't care about any of that. I mean, like, yeah, someday. I mean, I like having a job. I like being <laughs> married. I like my house. But you know what I mean? Like, but they're not, like, the shiny stars that make me feel like I'm living a purposeful life. I never felt like I lived a purposeful life, but like the gift that being recovered from alcoholism has given me just in meeting people like you guys. I mean, like how fucking cool is that? Like watching you guys get sober, Cody, I'm sure your journey was awesome. But Having seen <laughs> Kristen and Alfredo get sober, like it's like goosebumps. It's definitely know? cool to meet me. Well, yeah, uh, duh. <laughs> Hello. Cody's like, oh my God.
1: <laughs> talking about ego oh my god <laughs> i'm kidding i'm kidding
2: well it is and we do have it's a you know we we are a group of people who wouldn't normally mix i was talking to my <laughs> brother today and he had heard the last podcast that you and i had done and he's like really? he's like that that guy's a good interviewer the voice thing again he's like that okay. oh
3: guy you have the best radio I voice yeah, yeah. I mean, he's in like, in like, like you guys sound like industry. you're really close <laughs> And I was like, see, it's I a know gift.
2: Alfredo from being in meetings and stuff like we've never really hung out. But he's like, well, you guys seem like you know each other pretty well. I was like, well, when you sit in a meeting with someone for years at a time and all the shit we talk about. I mean, I guess yeah.
1: <laughs> you might know. know some things that yeah. others might not. Yeah.
3: yeah. Right. And so like going from being alone to having a tribe and like a tribe where I can say things like took me six months sober before I finally decided to open the pile of mail that was two and a half feet tall in my house because I was afraid of the letter from the IRS that was buried somewhere on the inside of that pile and everyone at Treasures laughed their asses off and then told me to take pictures of the pile and what it looked like when I was done you know I was uh yeah I, I was the same way
1: and I was so like I'm not I can't pay my school loan oh my god you know it's so much money and they would sit down and call me, and we would take an inventory of all my finances. And they'd be like, we don't understand where $600 is disappearing to every month. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, I know. Me <laughs> either. It's so you know? mysterious. Uh, weird. <laughs> but now I just pay it. And I'm right. like, oh, I can't believe I can pay it. I can give money to the church. I can, I'm, I'm not dying. You I know? don't lie
3: to doctors anymore. Yeah.
1: I can open my mail. I mean, I'm still kind of slow at it, especially when it's like a toll bill. I'm just. Like, oh.
2: Well, I can still These come guys. into a room of AA today and tell you guys, I still don't feel like I fit in my, my own skin all the time, you know? And you guys know what I'm talking about. That makes me feel like a little bit less of an alien rather than an Earth person.
3: Yeah. Well, and who's to say... We're not the Earth people, and they're the aliens. That's a good—I good. have actually oh, good. thought
2: about that before. We could, we could have some discussions about this, but
3: <laughs> wow, we need we'll another save that episode for another time. Like, we wow. do, yes. The alien piece <laughs> may be a bit
0: of an outside issue. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't mean that literally. It's more figuratively speaking. Well,
0: And what I think is interesting about the trust in AA is you can't explain it to anybody outside of AA. I can say anything, and you can say anything, and it's never going to leave.
2: I applaud you for walking in and saving your own life.
3: Yeah.
0: yeah.
3: My parents have come to an open meeting on every one of my anniversaries. I guess we won't do that this year um, to, you know, to support me doing all of that. And I think each time, and they went to York Street last time, and so they were just sort of like, we're so glad you have your social club, Jen. That's what they call <laughs> it. club your social and your friends from your social club <laughs> like a, like a supper club in the I 50s love that. like but, it's a country um, club kind of but yeah but it's you know it's social it's, club it's our it's our tribe you know and i think we can spot each other
1: i think you're right well we're about to wrap up so any burning desires
2: no i well yes Alfredo, I think that God is working through you through this podcast. Amen. And I just felt the need to say that, so there you go.
1: Oh, well, we're going to start off with that. That's Well, but doubling down,
3: like, um, hearing the message from other alcoholics on podcasts and YouTube speakers and all of that has been a really big part of my sobriety yeah. and, um, and I just, my heart just sings with joy that you're doing this, man. And uh, if you need any support or help, I'm in, because I just think this is awesome. Well, shoot, this is you easy, right? Like, this is just a meeting.
1: Yeah, well, you know.
0: Forever I, on the internet. Yes. I've, I've had the
1: idea for a couple of years, like, I, I want to do this. Because I, I listen to podcasts, and I'm like, oh, that, that looks easy. If anybody can do that. I can do that. But I just never did it and you have yeah. the voice.
2: I'm sick of my story too by the way. I'm sick of myself. Are you? Um, and I haven't heard <laughs> your story yet, so maybe no, it's can't. time for that. I don't,
1: I don't know about that.
2: Ooh, I, don't, I, don't. I think
3: I, I think Kristen should interview Alfredo Jen's and get I his story.
1: That could be cool. Well, um because I've been like I said earlier, just at home and I'm like god, I'm not like I can't go to work, I can't really do nothing. I just yeah. had I mean, I guess lines. you can record one by yourself. I think it's time to just to do us. this thing, you know? I,
3: I love that you followed through on it. I just, yeah. I mean, like, I passed it on to my husband and other people, and I cried when I heard Kristen's, and I I cried the second time I heard Kristen's, and I really sure want to meet Arlene because she sounds amazing.
1: Oh, I will take you to meet Arlene. We know Arlene? Arlene. I want to hear Arlene's.
2: You got
3: to catch up on the podcast, Kristen.
2: Oh, yeah, you're going to show me after. 41 yeah. years
1: sober. I just had lunch with her yesterday, or actually pie. I,
3: I want to be yesterday's. friends with her, so hook us up. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: you got it. All right. That was awesome, guys. Thank you so much for showing up. Um, I got a lot out of this. I think we'll wrap up then. Thank All you. Right. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Keep coming back. <laughs> yeah. It works right. if you work it. It works if you
3: work it. Yeah. When I was in Richmond, I went to a meeting where they, at the end, and it was amazing. I was the only white person in this meeting, and it was this, it felt like a, a, a barbershop. And I think there were maybe only two women, and so these big, burly dudes who carried a beautiful message. At the end, they went, you know, keep coming back. It works if you work it. And this guy with this booming, deep voice goes, and if you don't, you die. that's a perfect way to end this dude it was awesome
1: (laughs) that wraps up episode six of the recovery edge cast i'd like to thank our guests cody jen and Kristen. it was awesome we're gonna do it again thank you for listening don't forget you can find us on spotify or itunes and pretty much wherever you like to subscribe to podcasts. And of course, at recoveryedgecast.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.